The second half of the season is about to begin. Will the Knicks carry their first half success over to the second half? Can this team end up a top five team in the Eastern Conference? We will look ahead to the final 35 games and discuss what piece the Knicks might need to add to the puzzle. We also are excited to chat with a former Knicks swingman, a three-point contest champion. It's Q Rich. Quentin Richardson will join the show. All that plus this day in JYD history. That's coming up next on Big Apple Buckets from the New York Post. Welcome back to Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Sal Licata, alongside my co-host, former Knicks and NBA big man, Jerome the Junkyard Dog. (laughs) What's up, JYD? Subscribe to Big Apple Buckets wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us five stars and you can write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the continued support. Uh, As always, former Nick Quentin Richardson going to be joining us a little bit later in the show, so we look forward to talking to him. JYD, what'd you think of the dunk contest? I actually enjoyed it, and it was nice to see the Knicks have representation. I mean, I, they, I could use the traditional jersey with Julius Randle in the skills competition, then in the All Star game. Nice to see Obi Toppin representing New York in he the was slam robbed. dunk. You think so? He I, was robbed. Come man. on, Sal. You know who I thought was robbed was Cassius Stanley. I thought that first dunk of the night was for sure. That was a dunk that I was watching. Oh. And they gave him eights and nines, and then Toppin came. Hey, look, Toppin had some sick dunks, but I don't know if I would say he was robbed. Nah, man, listen. Cassius, I mean, all the dunkers had, I mean, they were all, you know, decent dunks. This isn't going to rank in the, you know, top five of all-time greatest slam dunk contest. But it's during COVID. So guess what? I'm thankful to see what I was able to see. When we look at the last two dunks in the finals, you had one guy who claims to have kissed the rim. (laughs) There was eight inches between his lips and the actual rim. Now, was he up high? Yes, I'll give him that. Was he looking at the rim? Yes, I'll give him that. Did he have good theatrics post throwing the ball in? Yes. The movement of the head, the gesturing, throwing his head away from the rim as if he was going to hit and decapitate himself. Oh, sick. That was that was good. But the theme of the dunk when he landed was that he kissed his mouth to say he kissed the rim. So that to me was like, well, wait a minute, young fella. You didn't actually kiss the rim. And B, you didn't really do anything dramatic because you didn't do what you're claiming that you did. I actually thought it was a good dunk contest. I know there are only three people, but like you said, I was into it. It kept me entertained. I thought Cassius Stanley's first dunk was insane. I thought Obi Toppin's first two dunks were insane. And some of those dunks, JYD, now you could obviously talk to this more, more than I can because I've never dunked a basketball, well, certainly not on a regulation rim, but some of the dunks, it's hard to really appreciate live time. But then you watch it on the replay. You know, Even the dunk where he jumped over his father and Julius Randle, not just the fact that he jumped over them, but the windmill on top of that. I mean, that is nasty. His first dunk, that the way he bounced it, and then the movement with that ball, that is nasty. So I thought his two dunks may be better than anything that Anthony Simons ended up doing. However, Simons was more consistent with his three and very creative. So I, I would have liked to have seen Toppin win. And I think he did have two. Listen, he won. Let me just tell you. <laughs> the first dunk, he jumped, bounced it in flight. 
and then caught it and dunked. That is one of the hardest dunks, like in terms of like coordination, timing. I mean that, and then to make it halfway look like you know something good, he reverse slant. That's hard, man. And then what you say? He jumped over six ten. Julius Randle six nine, flat footed with shoes on. He's six ten. He jumped over him at the dotted line, and then windmill slant. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying, man, look, you got to have an appreciation for these guys and what they do. I mean, you know, when Nate Robinson jumped over Dwight Howard, mm-hmm. that was that was significant. It took him 20 times. Yeah, to do that's it. what was annoying. Shout out to Nate the Great, but <laughs> it, you know, he did it eventually. Plus, it was creative. I felt jumping guys over your dad and Randall should have been factored into that final dunk too. It made me feel like. The, the refs, and one of them, Josh Smith, they, you know, they had a couple of guys who have won before were the refs this year, so they changed up that, but I feel like they didn't see the replay because clearly he didn't kiss the rim. It was a normal dunk. He attempted to, and he was robbed. I mean, it does, uh, doesn't matter in the end. but I don't know if you could say it was a normal dunk, though, Jake, to JYD's point before, I, and he didn't kiss the rim. Look, you kiss the rim without a mouthpiece like that, you're going to break your face. So the way, though, that he moved his head toward it, you know, we're watching it in slow motion, He's doing this in real time, flying toward the rim aggressively to stuff it, puts his face toward it like he's going to kiss it, pulls it back and throws it down. That was sick. And even watching the replay, and I'm with you guys originally, oh, it would have been great. And it would have been all-time great if he actually did kiss the rim. But the idea was original. And even the execution, pulling back like that, throwing it down. No, no, Sal. Let me take you back, okay? What, the cupcake dunk? Green, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gerald Green? Gerald Green. Now yeah. I, was, I knew it wasn't Jeff. Yeah. Gerald Green. That that was a significant. I mean, you, you got to get close. Yeah, that's true. To blow out a can. You you have to be right there. You can't blow eight inches away. It's not going out. The candle's not going out. I'm a little surprised that, no one incorporated a mask. I thought that was a very obvious, easy thing to do. Wear a mask when you're dunking. Do something to talk about the times that you're in. No one did that. The only thing was the the jersey. I guess uh, you wore the Tracy McGrady jersey. was kind of cool. I thought it was I a snooze trying, fest. I honestly. think that's because we're trying to get away from the mask. Right Agreed. Now. I think people just want to move mask on is, from that is, stuff. is... You yeah, know. it's good. It's a symbol of bad time. I, look, I thought Simons was the most creative. I thought Toppin was good too. I and I will say this: even though I think Simons was a deserved winner, and I do think Stanley got robbed on the first dunk, I think it was clear that there was a Knicks or New York bias going on, anti Nick, anti New York bias. Whether it be with the judges or just overall, you can. It just it felt like you know Obi's dunks weren't truly appreciated for what they were, and there was too much focus on the other guys, even though Toppin had arguably two of the best dunks in, in the thing. I mean, he went from in like right inside the free throw line between his legs. Come on. That's a winning dunk. If you don't, unless you come up with something a little more insane. I, I, I just, you know, I've seen so many. I, I mean, the fans know Dog Pound has been front row for decades watching slam dunk. So I know what I know. How I rate it, crowd reaction, all that stuff is factored in. COVID, it's got this whole thing jumbled up. My official dog pound winner is New York Nick Obi Top. I think what we also learned, guys, is, and we're all bald here, so we could say this. Thank God we're bald and don't need a barber because a barber almost ruined the Super Bowl and the All Star game with Embiid and Simmons.
Yeah, these guys got to watch. I mean, I get you need to get your hair cut, but come on. And especially now to have that happen and Simmons and Embiid obviously couldn't take place in the in the All-Star festivities. Julius Randle, though, did JYD take place in all of the All-Star festivities. He was there in the skills contest and he was kind of you, you could tell he was maybe too cool for school in his first one there. But he did have fun, and then he was out there being used as a prop in the dunk contest that we just talked about, and then participating in the game. I think it was fun, though, watching Julius Randle. It looked like he really embraced, and I know it's not normal circumstances. It was just the one night, not the traditional party and event that it is the entire weekend. But it seemed to me, JYD, that Julius Randle, who was well-deserved of an all-star berth, enjoyed his time there being an all-star. Absolutely. You know, first time's a charm. I mean, you know, I, I – came close to making a couple of of all-stars and obviously didn't make it you know it, it, that's a tough that's a tough gig mm. you know you not only have to have a fan vote particularly top five and then be at at our time voted in by the coaches so it's tough and and those positions are hard to come by so shout out to Julius for making it and having his first hopefully many more he got to keep keep up this consistent play like he's been doing I mean leadership. Because, you know, it's easier to make continued all-stars after you've gone to your first. How about him now as we look for the second half of the season, JYD? The all-star game is behind us. We're in the midst of the all-star break. If you're listening to this live on Tuesday, March 9th, when we record it, Knicks will resume action on the 11th with a little bit of a road trip here before they return home to Madison Square Garden, taking on Milwaukee on Thursday night at Oklahoma City on Saturday. A big one Monday night against Brooklyn, and then in Philadelphia, another big one. Look, they're all going to be tough here for the Knicks as they try to continue their success that they've built off of here in the first half. Let's start with Randall. You confident that Randall will maintain that type of play and lead this team pretty much the same way he did in the first half moving forward? Well, I think so. I mean, when you when you go to the All-Star break and you're you're a part of those festivities and and you you were able to put your name alongside, you know, the greats of today, it does give you a shot in the arm. It gives you like, you know what, I belong. I need to act like it, perform like it. You know, when that stuff takes place, it could be a huge confidence boost. Because I've seen guys catapult their careers off of their first all-star appearance. Just being mentioned with the rest of those names is something that, you know, guys will forever have cemented in their, you know, framework of their careers and their legacy. So that's a big deal. Yeah, I, I look, I think he is what he is as a player now. He's gotten better. You were on it uh, early on in our first podcast, and it's something that, you know, I have to give you a credit for every week because it really it's it's the reason why the Knicks are where they are with Julius Randle turning into an all-star player carrying this team, and I think he is going to be that guy moving forward. The Knicks 19-18, and 18, fifth in the Eastern Conference, 35 games to go, so there's still a long way to go and a difficult schedule, but Randle is going to be the guy to lead them, no question. And JYD, you know, the question now becomes, well, who are they going to put with them? We know the Knicks have some nice pieces and hope to get healthier here, but are they going to add? And one of the top names that continues to come up is Victor Oladipo. I'll tell you, I was a little down on the thought of Oladipo. I wanted Zach Levine, or I was thinking maybe more sexy, but Oladipo is a hell of a player. And I know he's been hurt here. I think people forget how good he is. He's a guy who plays hard both ends of the floor. He can be an elite scorer. He's just got to stay healthy. And maybe like other players, Tom Thibodeau can get the most out of Victor Oladipo. I don't know what it's going to take to get him. I would love to see the Knicks go out there and acquire Victor Oladipo. Well, Victor Oladipo, shout out to DeMatha High School because that's where he played in D.C. 
I mean, the kid is, you know, obviously been, you know, one of the one of the highlighted guys who has been an all-star, competed in dunk contests. He brings that, he brings that tenacity on, like you said, two-way playerism, mm-hmm. where he's gonna he's gonna get in people's face. He's gonna do what it takes. But does he have the juice still to, you know, be that be that scorer after his injuries? He hasn't given me or shown me enough to say, like, you know, to give me that confidence that I know that, you know, he's gonna have a uptick in his career since his injury. It's sort of been sort of like a flat line, mm-hmm. like not bad, but just nothing like saying, oh, no, I'm going to get back to where I was and, and beyond. And that's what, you know, when you're looking at the Knicks right now, sitting at the fifth spot, knowing that we have basically sort of like budding stars. And they're not stars, but they're budding. They're, you know, they're right there on the cusp. I would just sit it out. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't go jumping into trades because the way it sits right now, I know this team is a playoff team. Now, if we have to just squeak out the eighth spot, so be it. Brooklyn was in the eighth spot last year Mm -hmm. and then they went out and got free agents. A lot of these guys, they're up because they're going to be free agents this summer. I would say it would be better to add them post COVID. Give the Knicks give the Knicks that are there now that have taken us from zero the bottom of the east the bottom of the league to a playoff spot let them shine i i do think that this is a playoff team now we had the debate coming into the year you know how many wins are they going to have right now i don't even think it's a question it's just a matter of where they end up currently the fifth spot they are going to be a playoff team here I understand that logic. Maybe just the fan in me is excited about the possibility of adding a star player like Oladipo right now. But you're right. You don't have to give anything up. There's no urgency to do it this year. He's not going to be a difference maker as far as going to win a title. So he could help as far as seating goes. Maybe you went around. I think it would be a great addition, but you don't want to give up too much to get him. How about any of the the other names, JYD? Would you be interested from a Knicks perspective for Andre Drummond, a guy who clearly can make a difference as a big man? I mean, the Knicks are hoping to get Mitchell Robinson back at some point here. Would you be interested? interested in Andre Drummond or even Harrison Barnes, where maybe the Knicks could use another small forward there that might be available. Either of those guys do anything for you? You know, Andre Drummond, I think that he's he's got some he's got some potential there. I mean, obviously that would be some bigs involved in that potential trade. So that that could be a potential package. I, I think that that you I would look at that. But the only guy that really like really shakes it up or or I think really moves the Needle is a guy like Zach Levine. And I haven't heard his name in any trades lately. It was early on in the year, but I haven't heard his name. But that that guy, I think that would be something significant that I think could potentially move us up a playoff tick. You go from five to four on that. The only question there becomes what you'd have to give up. I'm with you. Levine would be my top choice. I love his attitude. I love his confidence. I think he'd be perfect here. Obviously, I love his skill set as well. But the Bulls playing a little bit better. Maybe they're not going to be looking to move Levine. And who knows what it would take to get him. And then it becomes, okay, well, do you want to give up, let's say, R.J. Barrett to go do that? To your point, the Knicks are developing their own young guys with Barrett and quickly and seeing how these guys can develop here you know, at Milwaukee Thursday, at OKC Saturday, at Brooklyn JYD Monday, which is going to be a huge one. Who knows what Durant status is going to be, but the way Brooklyn's playing now with the attention that they're getting nationally and with the attention the Knicks are getting locally, that's going to be a fun matchup. And then Tuesday at Philly, as we mentioned, those next four, what do you think here coming out of the gate for the Knicks? Uh, are you looking at a team that's going to pick up where they left off? Or are you worried about this tough schedule? Are you worried about the road trip to start the second half? What are your expectations for the next four? 
I if we can get one to two based on the fact they're going on the road, I mean, these are tough games. I mean, Milwaukee, top of the league, Brooklyn, top of the east. These are going to be tough, tough, tough games to play for the Knicks. So if we can get one to two of these other other games, I'm taking those as keeping the momentum going, keeping that playoff push going. Obviously, if you can snatch one of those, because they did beat Milwaukee earlier in the year, and that's why I have to factor that in. They're going to come in with the chip on their shoulder. Obviously, the Brooklyn game is going to be Kings of New York, so that's always going to come with the hypeness. But, you know, Brooklyn's hot right now. If they get KD back, you know, that's going to that's gonna come with its own feast of fury. So I'm saying one to two games puts us puts us right where we want to be. So that's my prediction. And it's funny because we, we've talked about it a lot in the first half looking at the schedule. Hey, we got to a point where these games are now winnable games. Well, now I don't get that feel. It's not a knock on the Knicks. It's just the caliber of opponent and then on the road. And that's why we talk about the tough schedule that the Knicks face in these 35 games in the second half. At Milwaukee on paper, that's a tough game. At Brooklyn on Monday night, very difficult game. At Philadelphia on Tuesday, assuming that everybody's playing, another very tough game. OKC may be the only winnable game that you see there or the game that they should win, and that's the game now. Look, those are the games you're going to have to win. So if they get one of those four, you know, not great, but maybe that's expected. Anything more than that would be great, and anything less than that, would be a disaster for the Knicks to start the second half and then maybe have people starting to question that. All right. So, I mean, look, we look, looking forward to it, Jay White. It should be a playoff team here in the second half, and we'll see how they start coming out of the gate with these next four games. Coming up next, we're going to talk to former Nick Quentin Richardson. That's on the other side on Big Apple Buckets. Well, let's welcome in former Nick. He played four seasons with the Knicks from 2005 to 2009. Actually came back and was a part of the Knicks' last playoff team. Hard to believe it's been two, since 2013, their last playoff team. But he was on that team. Quentin Richardson joins us right now. JYD, you got you got another guy for us with uh, your player here, Quentin Richardson. That's my dog right there, Q Rich. He's back in action, man. Where are headbands at? Where are the headbands at, Q Rich? You already know. You know that's how we coming. <laughs> that's right Quentin what do you think of this year's Knicks team from what you've seen so far I mean we talked about it you were there as, as far as being a part of that last playoff team many years ago in 2013 looks like this team is on a playoff trajectory here what have you seen from these young Knicks led by Tom Thibodeau yeah man I think that's probably the you know the one of the biggest shifts that they've had is that you know Coach Tibb has come and implemented his you know his culture and he, he he's turned things around in that respect but um also man I think you know, the, the front office has done a great job, you know, with the players they brought in and the draft picks they brought in and the flexibility they've given themselves with the cap and with free agency as well. Talk about when, when early on in your career, right, you, you and Darius Miles, you guys really brought a level of excitement to the game. You were obviously on the West Coast. Take, take us back a little bit to coming out of Chicago and, and, and really, you know, taking, taking the headbands to another level. Man, to be honest with you, man, we, we, we didn't really know that we were, you know, doing and making the type of an impact that we were making back then. I mean, obviously, you know, we knew that we had a, you know, like, you know, Clipper fans and our little Clipper Nation area like that. And, you know, a little bit of the, the rappers and the hip hop community that supported us because they wore our jerseys and stuff like that. But we had no clue that it was going to be, you know, that we were making the impact and the imprint that we made looking back at it in hindsight now. And you actually host a podcast, the Knuckleheads podcast with Darius Miles, your former Clippers running mate. You know, Quentin, I was looking over some of the stats even before you got to the Knicks. We, we know you as a three-point shooter, 
But it's funny to look at the numbers and the three points attempted that you had the year before with Phoenix under Mike D'Antoni, who was a guy at that time. I mean, you're talking about 2004, 2005, a guy at that time that was creating a revolutionary offense. You see where the game is today. Man, I'm sure you'd be lo- you'd love to be out there now chucking these threes the way that players do. What do you think of the style of play in today's NBA game? I love it, man. I mean, I, I do the telecast for the, for the Magic games. You know, we talk about the difference in the, in the, in the generations and everything now. And I mean, I, I was a fan before I got in the NBA, a fan while I was in the NBA and a fan of it still now that I'm, you know, uh, not playing anymore. The way these guys get a, get a chance to, to, to let it fly, man, I would have loved to be able to be a part of that. Because, I mean, you think about that year in Phoenix, I led the league in, in attempts, and I think I had broken, like, Dennis Scott's attempt record for, for, for a single season that year. And now you look at that, it was like 200, like, I don't know whatever the number was, but I know those guys cleared that in the, before an all-star break now. They make, you know, they attempt those many and make those many before that. So it's like, it's, it's definitely a different league, and I would have loved to never go out there and shoot just however many threes and not get looked that crazy for doing it. It's funny, as well, JYD, we talk about this all the time, right, JYD? Guys now, they take shots that back in your day, you'd be pulled off the court for shooting some of those threes. You pull up on a fast break, three-on-one guys are pulling up shooting threes from mid, from you know half court, and, and now it's acceptable. Back then, you'd be you'd be yanked all out of the game. Yeah, we saw, we watched a couple, like, I don't know, like a week or so, or a couple weeks back, the Denver Nuggets, could have tied the game on the fast break and you had the entire team on the fast break run to the three-point line. They literally had a wide-open dunk if somebody just ran to the basket. Nobody ran to the basket. Everybody ran to the three-point line. That's where we at. Hey, with. man, <laughs> that that is a sign of the times. When I watched that, I was just flabbergasted. I was like, wait a minute, where where has our game gone? You know, the three-point shot is starting to take over dunks. <laughs> That was alarming right there. You took the, the three over the short thing. Yeah, I was I was tripping too. That was almost robotic. It looked like they were they, they were in robotic form. It's like, all right, three point line must stand there. You got three layups, dunks, whatever you wanted. I'm wide open. So Q Rich, I'm curious, you were you were very short time on that Knicks playoff team, but that team was special to a lot of Knicks fans because of obviously Stad and Mello, but the veterans like you and you know, kid Rashid. I mean, there were so many fun veterans on that team. Can you talk about your short time there and, and making the playoffs and how special that team was? Oh man, that was that was definitely a special, special time, a special team. I got to see <clears throat> New York like I had never seen it or experienced it in my playing time. And um, like you said, I think those those guys made it so special, man. Mark, I, I had never got a chance to play with Melo, Camby, J Kid, you know, uh Shumper was there, J J. R. Smith, Swish was 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 one of the homies. Play I played with yeah, man, that team that team was a great team, man. I, I thought we definitely had a chance, and it was like, like you said, I wasn't really a, a, a you know a factor or a part. I was on the back end, of everything, but just to be there, to experience that that feeling, of like the garden, the city, the way that it, the feeling in there, it was never there like that. The four years that I played, because we weren't in that position, we had the number one seed that year. And, you know, it was a lot of hype and expectations behind that team, and it was a great feeling to be on. You know, to be in that jersey and be in a garden and have the fans in that type of a mood and, and, and rooting for you that way and supporting you, I was like, that was a chance for me to get to really see, like, this is why people say when you win and you do well in New York, it's like no other place on the planet because it was, it was bananas. It was, it was something special. 
you think, Quentin, that it could get back to that? I mean, for your generation and JYD and for you know me growing up watching the 90s Knicks and knowing how great they were and how important it was to play at Madison Square Garden or be a part of New York City, that's kind of lost on today's you know 19 or 20-year-olds where the Knicks have been bad for essentially two decades. You think they could get back to that and Madison Square Garden once again being what it was and players wanting to come, you know, free agents instead of choosing Brooklyn, maybe free agents choosing New York. You think they could get back to that anytime soon if they keep winning here? A hundred percent, man. I think right now we're seeing what could be the beginning of that turnaround. I mean, that's that's what it takes. I mean, you know, guys that are coming in the league now, they they aren't going to be paying attention because because that's before them. What's happened with the Knicks is before them. If they feel like it's a new regime with, with you know, Leon Rose and, and, and West and everybody over there doing things differently, it's that easy to change, especially with the, with, like you say, once you start winning and once it's not looking like what it used to look like, it's just that it's just that simple. All you need, all it takes is one or two guys to come in and, and buy in and really, and once they see, because if, if anybody's paying close attention, I know it's tough, it's hard, but if you come to New York and you make your name there, you big everywhere. There's not a lot of places you could say that about, like where, you know, if you if you go there, you're going to be known everywhere. Like if you go to New York and you get, if you one of the guys to get that credit for bringing the Knicks back and putting them in position to win a champion, and God forbid if you're the person to deliver a chip, if you deliver a chip to the Knicks, you are, you are a made man. You could do whatever you want, wherever. <laughs> talk about king in the mountain you know especially yeah. uh coming on our end we we both played for the knicks after our youths you know after we we were we were high flyers and everything else but at the end of the day i mean it, you know it's like you said we if you won three four games in a row in new york it was just bananas they 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 put you on a pedestal that you know you, you that no other city would put you on especially with the people talk about the fans like you know just when you were there playing and the feeling you got coming out of the garden after a win oh man i loved it i, I loved it i mean the, the feeling i got most nights whether we win lose or draw man i, I feel like i, I got a, a a good level of respect because they know that i left it out there i wasn't somebody who came and was gonna not play hard or not show up and not give my all so i felt like that that's that's the type of people that new yorkers respect they respect the blue collar guys that come in and, and work their butt off and gonna lay it on the line regardless if you like the super duper star, whatever you are, they see you out there landing on the line for their team and trying to do whatever you can to help them win. They're going to appreciate that to a certain level. And I felt like I always felt good when I left because I, I knew how I played and I knew what I brought. You know, and Quentin, maybe some of the young Knicks to today or in the last couple of years can relate to what you were going through when you first got drafted to the Clippers. I know it was a big market, Los Angeles, but the Clippers clearly back then were not what they are now. They've become one of the top teams in the league consistently. Back then, it was always, uh, the Cl- you know, the Clippers were second fiddle, clearly to the Lakers, and maybe still are, even though they are a good team. But you get the point. I mean, the franchise was known for their losing. What was that like as a young player, knowing that you were going to a team, big market team, second team in town, and a team that was known for being perennial losers? For us, that was part of what made us who we were, man. We we came in with a firm understanding of all of that. We knew we were the little brother team over there in L.A. at the Lakers in the midst of starting the three. Even before they won a championship, you know, they had Shaq, Kobe, and the guys they had. So they were the Lakers, period. And um, I think the thing that made us who we were is that 
we were all young. For one, I got drafted with, with, with two other guys that were that were 19 and 18, and then you had guys that were just drafted a year before of us. So when you look at it, you got a core group of guys that really supposed to still be in college. And that, at that time, that, these type of teams weren't normal. It wasn't – you couldn't find a team that had six, seven core guys that were 21 and under. You know what I'm saying? We That's literally was our reality. We had, you know, Olua Candy at 21. You had – Corey, Ello, myself at, at 19, Keon doing at 19, and, and, and Darius was 18, literally, when we first started. So, I mean, we were young enough to not even care. Everything was so fresh and new. We were just trying to, you know, we were trying to get our careers started off. We were trying to be young superstars, and that enthusiasm, that energy, and that work ethic that we put into it, that was what, that was the result of everything. Like, even though we weren't ready to win yet, we had, you know, our, our we weren't in a position where we were mature enough to, to turn everything thing at the W's, but everybody to a man was sitting on that bench chanting, you know, gnawing at the bit, couldn't wait to get in and show what, show what we could do, and that was where you saw those different highlights, those different exciting plays where it was like, everybody was just waiting. We was all at the at the, at the starting line just ready to get off and go, and it was like, whenever somebody got in, like, because it would literally be like, some days I would play, Corey not going to play. Some days, Keon might not play, and, and Jeff McGinnis going to play, so it was like, when we got our shot, we was trying to, we was trying to go all out. That's why you saw celebrations. You saw us having fun. Like, we could get in down 20, but, like, this is our time. We got to show everybody everything in this little time. And that was why we was playing that way. Q, Rich, the ending of your career is intriguing to Knicks fans because you were part of a trade, and Masai Ujiri, my God, did he fleece the Knicks in this trade, Q, Rich. It was you, Camby, Novak, a first-round pick, and two second-round picks for let me get my Stephen A. Smith voice on here, Andrea Bargnani. I mean, this entire package for Bargnani, who with the Knicks, Q. Rich, ended up being an absolute scrub. What the hell happened with that trade? So while it was as blasphemous as, as you may say, and all of those things, <laughs> for, for, for me, for me, for me, it was it was truly a blessing from God. I was on my way out. You got to understand, I'm just sitting here minding my own business at home. Sitting at home, minding my own business, trying to figure out what's next, you know, not really knowing what it's going to be. Then my agent calls me and says, hey, you, you, I got, got, got something to tell you. I'm like, what's going on, Jay? Like, yeah, you, you getting traded to Toronto. I said, Jay, how can I get traded? Like, I'm literally not even on the team no more. But I guess it was like, a, it was some type of loophole where, like, even though I'm not signed to next year, I'm still, still held my rights or something. And they needed somebody that was inspiring to make the deal work. And I had people that, I, you know, that, that, that felt like I was a good guy, did things the right way. So they picked me to award with the, with the one-year deal for free where I ain't never got to set foot into Toronto. They, they you know, they stretched out my deal. I was getting Maple Leaf checks for like three, four years. I'm like, look, it was all Cha-ching. good to me. Was, hey, listen, hey, I said, thank you. Hey, thank, and you get into the Canadian God, Retirement Pension Fund for athletes. Hey, hey, you feel me, JYD? I was sitting there like, at first I was like, Toronto, man, like, what you talking about, Jay? I gotta go. He's like, listen, just be quiet. You ain't gotta go nowhere. You ain't even gotta go take a physical or do anything. And I was just sitting there, I, did, I was smiling for about, I don't know how long straight, but I was just like, yo, that was just, that was crazy. 
I, I felt like I got the key. I can't. I got. I got like a baby Key Van Horn blessing. Remember Key Van Horn? Got that? He was in home, and they called oh, him and put him in the trade. And he got that money. I, know, I just got like a little baby, a little baby, baby, little Key Van Horn treatment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, say Toronto has a lot, Toronto has a lot of beautiful women. It's a great city, but yeah, I mean, free checks are always nice. Hey, listen, hey, the text, listen, I was, you got to understand, at this point in my career, I was veteran mode, JYD, so I was very well aware of the, the, of, the, of the tax implications that, that, that go along with being in Canada. That's why I didn't want to hear nothing about that. I ain't got nothing against the, the country or the city. It's like you say, it's beautiful. <laughs> Great people, some of the nicest, kindest, best people you're going to meet on the planet, but some tax implications wasn't doing too good for you. But I had just recently been re- re- relocated to Florida. I was enjoying those tax implications that we got down here in Florida, and I just didn't want to hear that at that point. I was, you know, I was a little more business savvy, and that was my first concern at that point. Sal, us Knicks fans would gladly accept having Q Rich, Camby, Novak, and those draft picks for the very forgettable time of our Andrea Bargnani here. What? Yeah, team. that was a hard I mean, I, mean, I will. <laughs> I, I, I know the Knicks fans can feel me on this. If not, if not me and Camby, I know they could have kept Novakane because that's oh. when he was still doing his thing. He was giving you the discount double check at the threes. He was in his own then. <laughs> like we was me and Camby, we was we was we was you know old news yesterday's paper, but you know Novak was still giving. Yeah, we, we we need we didn't Novocaine and all sorts of drugs to to watch the Knicks after that team. So uh, yeah. <laughs> a horrible trade, no question about it. I'll tell you, Quentin, uh, the Knicks could use shooting like Nova, Novak and you from beyond the arc. That's what they need: some shooters from the outside, especially with the way the game has evolved. But you had a terrific NBA career. It was fun to watch you play in New York, and again, part of the last playoff team hard to believe that that's the case four seasons with the Knicks realize that. that's funny yeah well, that's a long I mean it's a long time ago now right 2013 seems like forever ago it, it, it is forever ago <laughs> literally yeah and not making the playoffs in the NBA is hard to do especially now but I think that's going to change this year but anyway you had four seasons with the Knicks from 05 to 09 then again with that 2013 you won the three-point contest in 2005 you're the host of the knuckleheads podcast with Darius Miles with the Players' Tribune, a part of the Orlando Magic broadcast team. You could follow them on Twitter and IG, at Q Rich. Thanks for your time, Quentin. We appreciate it. Yeah, big dog. (laughs) (laughs) JYD, let's go back for a minute. 25 years ago, this day in JYD history, March 9th, 1996, the Hoyas taking on the Yukon Huskies, Madison Square Garden. Let's relive some of those memories you have for us, JYD. This is prime dog pound vintage storage right here. Ray Allen, Hall of Famer, soon to be head-to-head with another Hall of Famer and Allen Iverson. This is made for TV. This is what college basketball was all about back in the 90s. Future superstars going head-to-head. And this had all the the buildup. They had knocked off Syracuse. We had knocked off Villanova. So, you know, when you talk about Biggie's Final Fours, those are the kings of the castle. Now we get to the game. We're hyped. AI's in the back saying we're getting ready to champagne toast. Of course, it'd be apple cider because we weren't old enough to drink. But we were ready to rock and roll, okay? We get out there and we get out to an early start. We're, we're rocking and rolling. The dog pound, I'm on my way to a double-double. Things are hot and heavy. We're leading at halftime, come back out second half. We just keep applying the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. Things are going well. 
all the way up until I would say right about 10 minutes left in the game. Because see, we were up about 14. And if you know anything about college swings, they happen gradually sometimes when a team has had the momentum pretty much the whole game, which we had. I mean, the Hoya fans were going crazy. Things were happening and popping. But what I saw was that AI was going on one of his cold streaks. You know, he was hitting a little slump. Victor Page, who was our two guard, who had just scored 30, almost 40 against Villanova the night before, who was going to be the tournament MVP. He's cold. So I'm trying to pluck off a few rebounds here and there, get us some second looks. Othello Harrington's down low, getting a couple buckets, but we're not, we're not edging that lead. It's actually regressing. First, it's down to 10, then eight, then six. Now it's a close game. Now we're under five minutes, but we're still in control. Well, we get down to the last minute and we're and we're up four. We're up four in the last minute of the game. Something happens, they get a steal, it's a bucket. Now they're within two. Well, still not a big deal. Somebody misses a free throw on our end, which only puts us up about one. Now things are really looking like desperation because we got to get a stop. All we got to do is get one stop. I mean, we're then we're within like 25 seconds of this Big East championship toast. And so I'm I'm roused up, Sal. I'm like saying to myself, oh, not on JYD's watch. Okay. <laughs> this is this is going down. We got our best defender on Ray Allen. You know, we're going to make sure he doesn't take the shot. I'm on second or third best offensive player. So I'm dialed in. And I see the play developing. Ray's coming off a brush screen. And he goes into a little one-on-one -on -one dance a little bit. And he's going into his penetration. Now, he was penetrating the pass. In all of the highlights, you can see that the guy he was attempting to pass to was my man. And the problem is sometimes you just got too much JYD juice. There's just too much dog pound <laughs> juice in the air, man. I see Ray's eyes. I'm like, and, and, and my eyes get huge because I'm like, oh, he's going to pass it and I'm going to take this thing. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of all the windmill slams I'm getting ready to do. <laughs> and Ray leaves his feet. So I know it's do or die. Like he's got to release this pass and he's looking. And the problem is I had this ice cream Sunday look on my face. Like, please give me the ball. I'm, I'm going to be so appreciative when you make this pass because I'm going to take this thing to the house and he sees it. He's in midair though. He's hanging. He's like, Oh, I can't pass. it. What do I do? He, looks at the rim on his way down and chucks it. And I mean, it goes in, man. It goes in. I'm saying to myself, oh my gosh, the, the garden's going crazy, right? Because not because he made the shot. The Hoya fans see that we still have seven, eight, nine seconds on the clock. Plenty of time. What do we do? We give it to AI. He's a walking bucket. He speeds down the court, goes into his crossover, pulls up, misses, misses the shot. We see the dreams of three, two, but wait, it's not over. JYD comes down with the offense rebound. Got it. But one, I know there's very little time left. I go back up. I'm moving between two and three defenders. Shoot the layup and it rims out. Oh, man. Oh, man. You, oh, man is right. Was that one of the most painful losses you've ever had? That's one of the most painful losses. Is it the most painful loss when you look back? It is the most painful loss. Absolutely, man. That, that, that was some pain I've never felt and still feel to this day. That's a dog pound day, man.
<laughs> this March 9th goes down in history is solemn. It's, it's, you know, I got to wake up. I got to say my prayers. <laughs> I got to take a moment because it, that, that pain of getting to that locker room and all of our guys, like basically, I mean, AI took a tough shot. My shot was a lot easier, but man, those are the shots you just say to yourself. If I could just take that one shot back, that would have changed history. We lose by one seventy-five, seventy-four. Do you want to hear the highlight, JYD? Do you need the highlight right now for me to play for you? Yeah, just show it for. Just go ahead, and let let the people listen to it, man. Go ahead. Allen with Iverson on and throws one up. And- That was so off balance. How did that go in? Oh my god! Iverson with seven, with six, Spades missed it. Williams. JYD the board. Oh, he missed the layup. Oh, JYD. Oh my goodness! You have to see it to believe it. That was a two footer. You missed a gimme. It's pain, brother. It's pain. See, your, 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 your internal clock has you so rattled, man. And the stakes are so high. I wanted AI to get the way it happens and it plays out as a player. I'm seeing AI's moment. It was never meant for me to have a moment. That's why I missed it, man. That's why I missed that shot. It wasn't meant for my moment. It wasn't, it wasn't meant for me to manifest that. Because that right there, that moment right there, think about the history. That, that shot was probably worth another $20 million. When you really, really think about it, when you really comes down to it, Ray Allen loses. I'm already becoming, I became one of the, the best offensive rebounds and rebounders in NBA history for a period of time. My stats speak for themselves. I led over Dennis Rodman, some of the greatest, you know, Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, Charles Barkley, Alonzo Mourning, Hall of Famers I beat out in offensive rebounds and rebounds per capita. So per minute. That would have changed my, you know, pro- projector. Shout out but. to Dickie V and ESPN on the call. I got I to gotta hear it again because I talked over it. Here's your missed layup. Williams, rebound. He missed it as well. Oh, man. That's sorry, JYD. That's that's a rough one. I just went back and was watching it, too. That is a painful one. I mean, look, what are you going to do? You're in the spot, like you said, JYD. AI is supposed to score right there. You at least got the rebound. There were guys on you. But it just shows you how close. Oh, man. Great rebound up and just off the mark. And you could see the dejection that you, you were just like, what the hell just happened? And walking what off the floor. Just happened. Should have put him on a poster, bro. That's 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 lesson learned. Put him, <laughs> no, put no, him you didn't have that kind of time. It wasn't like I had three, four seconds. You did it, the right you thing. Did, you, 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 know, you power up the dunk. It, you, you're getting up there and then it's, and you dunk it. And then they're like, why did you just lay it in? Well, I need more possessions, bro. That was it. That does it for episode 36, the Rashid Wallace, one of my all-time favorites, the Rashid Wallace edition of Big Apple Buckets. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camarada for producing the show. Subscribe to Big Apple Buckets on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review. Not those negative ones. Write a nice review, please. We you know, we can use it. You can do that on Apple. For JYD, Jerome Williams, I'm Sal Akata. We'll chat with you guys next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go Knicks!